General Nerdery. Long ago, General Nerdery never missed an episode, but all that changed when 2020 attacked. But now, a new episode starting with a young, new podcaster named Grizz. But he still has a long way to go before he can become a general. But I think this episode will be fine. It'll be fine, guys. It'll be fine. It's totally fine. It'll be fine. It's totally fine. Uh, welcome to General Nerdery, your podcast about liking things. I'm your General Zach. I'm General Tyler. And I'm that guy, Grizz. And with us to... <laughs> and with us today, we have that guy, Grizz. Uh, Grizz is old friend of mine, close friend of mine. He officiated my wedding. But uh, beyond dressing like a Steven Universe Jedi for that, you want to uh, toss nerd credentials our way, bud? Uh, so I've done nerd things for a very, very long time. Uh, lots and lots of video games growing up. Uh, serious Nintendo person, even as far as, like, Fire Emblem. Um, for those of you that don't know, it's just sexy chess, but not... (laughs) (laughs) That's my favorite description of Fire Emblem I've ever heard. That might be the best description I've ever heard of it. Yeah, it's also just a horrible thing, and it's a horrible community. Play the games, enjoy them, don't hang out with the nerds that enjoy it as well, because they're not good people. (laughs) That's increasingly true of most fandom communities, I'm finding. Um, I say on a podcast about fandoms. Exactly. Uh, Other things, I play stick-tag in the park with thumbs, doing the Belagarth. I play the Pokemon trading card game. Oh. Yeah, that's that's the topper I was waiting for him to give there. That's his uh, piece de resistance. Yeah. Also, I watch cartoons and analyze them for fun, so here we go. Yay. That's perfect for today. Yeah, that's absolutely excellent, because we're here to uh, watch cartoons, well, not watch them, and analyze the cartoons that we have previously watched. That's right. Um... Before we get too much farther, I do want to point out that if anything sounds weird or stilted this episode, we're back to distance because I got sick. Yeah. Womp womp. Thanks, 2020. Yay. Well, and not only are we back to distance, but we're on Discord, which has more of a lag than the the phone conversations that we've been using. So, uh, as I said, it'll be fine. It's just going to drive us nuts when we listen to this episode. Yeah. It'll drive us nuts now, and then drive me nuts later when I'm editing it as well. But mm-hmm. the things we do for loving things. It's easy things. for me. Once I'm done with it, it's over. <laughs> Before we dive into that, what have we been ingesting this week? Oh, man. All right. So I have been home not working since last Wednesday. I've been ingesting a shit ton. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's Monday, by the way, for yeah. when we're recording this for people now to give people a sense of time. Um, so I, since I brought it up before, I finished Shit's Creek. Um, I finished getting all the way caught up on, on the new Dresden, which was awesome. But I'm really glad that we decided to put that episode off because it is very much only a part one. He basically just split a giant book in half is what it seems like, but... Ah, okay. Sounds about right. The biggest thing that uh, I guess I'll I'll actually waste my time saying a little bit more than just I watched it on, because uh, it's going to double up 
as a recommendation, though I'll have one at the end of the pod as well, uh, the podcast Wind of Change is amazing. Have you guys heard of this? No, I don't know this I'm one. not either. All right. Wind of Change is like this eight-part, uh, eight-episode podcast series where a journalist is trying to track down whatever truth he can behind the rumor he heard from a contact of his that is former CIA that claims that the Scorpion song Wind of Change was written by the CIA as part of a psyop to uh, help spark whatever ideas of change and revolution that they could uh, behind the Iron Curtain. Huh. Huh. Yeah, that the Grizz's response to that's uh, exactly it. Uh, like I said, it's only eight parts. I went through it all the other day. It is amazing. I think I, I heard somewhere that they're like looking to option the story possibly into a movie. I'd watch it. You just find out all sorts of crazy shit. I don't want to give away what they find out about the song because it's kind of a neat little journey, but it's <laughs> uh, amazing all the stuff that you hear uh, over the course of the interviews that this guy does, including from some CIA, CIA people. so And the psyops that they believe are absolutely possible that have happened. so And a couple that I didn't know about that have happened, including one that was kind of sad. But not because it was fucked up, but no. because it was just took advantage of an artist that I really like. But. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean... Most stories about psyops are going to have a part where you get sad, I assume, but... Um, mm -hmm. Even though it's about a psyop, though, like, the whole thing is really... I don't know. Like, the whole idea was, like, it it was supposed to inspire change in people, and I think by the end of it, I still came away feeling really, like, uplifted by it all, even with, like, the shady shit going on. Uh, plus, it was just a really neat story, so... Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm trying to even remember what that song is. Like, I know I've. Take me into the magic of the moment on a lonely oh, yes, night okay. with the children of tomorrow. <laughs> something, something. Breathe away. A wind of change. A wind of change. <laughs> Okay, so, yes, you're correct. I do know this song. Uh, never a song I would have pegged for toppling the USSR, but, you know, whatever works. Yeah, um, God, I, I, I can't <laughs> recommend it highly enough. That's, that's the biggest thing, I would say, from my week, so. All right. Grizzles, how about yourself? Uh, so, one of my brothers, Dalen, turned me on to this podcast about RPGs. It is called campaign skyjacks and it's basically if sky pirates met weekend at bernie's and had a crossover episode <laughs> yes uh it's just it's yes. fantastic it's every bit as weird as you think it could be and more <laughs> good because i think it could be really weird and i'm happy yeah yeah yeah, they. I I laugh at. I'm sorry. Uh, they use the same you. system that Thumbs and I use in a lot of the games that we play, uh, a modified Genesis system, and it's Fuck yeah. it's really good. It's really narrative, lots of fun. Um, yeah, just 
horrible shenanigans and sky piracy with a dead guy. Mmm, shenanigans with a I dead l- guy. Oh, and sky piracy. I laugh at the number of D&D podcasts there are out there, but I also 100% would launch my own D&D podcast and have talked with Will about the best way of going about Fantastic. that. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, I mean, this yeah, is general nerd. At some time. point, we're going to be doing like at least a D and D episode. So a very specific oh, yeah. nerd. I want to run mutants. Yeah, I want to run mutants and masterminds too because it takes minimal dice rolling and it's superhero D and D. Oh god, Ooh. that's great. Ooh, right? Like, no, yeah, this is right up my fucking alley. Anything else you've been watching, Chris? Or should we jump to me? Uh, everything else has been like really long running at this point. Like, I've been taking my time running through a series on Disney Plus called Encore. Uh, just, mm. it takes a bunch of musical casts that, like, they did a musical theater in high school, and now, however many years later, 20, 35 years later, these groups are reprising their roles. It's a really fun and interesting look on, like, theater group and just that community. It's also really cute. No, that does sound nice. That sounds fun. Let's see. What have I what have I been ingesting? I am surrounded by books, so I should know the answer to this. Uh I got two. First one is a series called Marvel Knights by Chuck Dixon. It is a superhero book that came out uh, around the year 2000, give or take a year or two, and was all the like street level heroes of that era of Marvel before it became like the thing to bring together street level heroes. So it was like Daredevil and Moon Knight and Shang-Chi and Black Widow and Dagger of Cloak and Dagger and Luke Cage. And basically without Marvel Knights, we don't get the Netflix Marvel series. Yeah, on a lot of levels. But... We talked about Chuck Dixon before on the Midnighter episode, where he's a pretty good writer, but his... I kind of think he sucks as a person. Like, I suspect this. And uh, once you realize that, it starts to kind of show through in his writing. Hmm. Like, the book was good, but he just went straight to... This is a couple years before Luke Cage really had his kind of, like, renaissance and became a big name in Marvel. And Dixon chose to just kind of ignore the previous, like, 10 to 15 years of Luke Cage history and brought him back into, like, 70s silk shirt and tiara era Luke Cage. Which is... It is not necessarily bad. I've read several stories from that era that are very good, even if it's so 70s. But it felt weird that he kind of ignored the history of the black guy But no one else. Everyone else was really, like, up to date. You could just tell he hadn't read a Luke Cage book since, like, 1979. Mm. So it was good, but it was... That is jarring. But it was also really good, because, damn it, he's actually a pretty good writer. Especially for, like, street-level heroes. Uh, And then my next one is after 20 years of not actually reading it when all my friends did, I finally started the Dragonlance books. Wait, you cut out for a second on my end, but did you just say Dragonlance? Yes, I, I said Dragonlance. Oh, I fucking love Dragonlance. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have been not posting on social media my thoughts about it, just so I would make sure to get the recording of you realizing it, because I know you're a huge fan. 
Raceland is one of my favorite characters in anything ever. He's such a fucking edgelord. <laughs> like, I mean, I okay, so it helps that I'm listening to an audiobook, so I've got a narrator doing voices, and he's got the whisper really down. And he's a great narrator for an audiobook. I wish I knew his name off the top of my head. But, like, I realized that Raceland was written in 1984, so pretty much all of my friends that made this D&D character got it from Raceland. But, like, the edgy magic user that's obsessed with power and has weird fucking Yu-Gi-Oh! golden eyes. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. Uh, Grizz, have you ever read these before? Do you know these books? I haven't read the Dragonlance books. They were basically the first D&D novels. Like, we know about... You know, we've got, like, 30 Dritz books at this point. Like, it's a D&D novel's a big thing, but this one set the stage... And it is interesting to hear stuff like they'll mention a, a D&D spell of, like, he cast Featherfall. And they don't say it that directly, but I'm like, I know that fucking spell. Oh, Fizzban. I've used that spell. <laughs> Fizzban is pretty great so far. Tasselhoff is... I already knew Tasselhoff was great. Um, I had tried to start the sequel series in middle school, not realizing it was the sequel series. Oh, the twin series? Yes, and I did not find it good because it expected me to know a whole bunch of information that I did not yet know, not realizing I had basically started on book four. Ooh, right. <laughs> but it's... I've been looking for things to scratch that D&D itch, and this is doing a pretty solid job of it. Uh, are you planning on going all the way through, like, War of Souls, or are you just going to do, like, the main trilogy and see where it takes you? Well, I started this book two days ago, and it's 11 hours long, so I, I haven't even finished the first book oh, okay, yet. Okay, gotcha. So the answer is I don't know, because I don't know what that is. Right. The The second book was the first book to ever make me cry, so... Oh, nice! Uh, I've got the first three books on Audible at this point. I'm almost done with the first book. I'm definitely going to listen to all three. And then I guess I will... Google up a reading order and decide if I want to go further from there. That just makes me excited because of how much I love Dragonlance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, was, I was thinking maybe we should do an episode on it soon just so I can be the new guy to something and you can be the excited old guy. I don't know. The last time we did that, we ended up with an hour and a half on Mortal Kombat lore. <laughs> <laughs> we'll balance the workload a little more this time. Um... That's what I got. Tyler, you got any news for us today, or...? I got news. Uh, let's see. So I it, that, like, it has a been... Like, you don't always have It news. has been, like, two weeks since we talked, and Comic-Con happened in the meantime, but luckily for us, oh, it's okay. the most anemic Comic-Con ever because of COVID. Yeah. Uh, so I tried to pick a couple news highlights from the past two weeks, just because there's a couple things from last week that uh, were cool enough or big enough at least that I figured we should talk about it for at least a minute but I did try to hit only highlights so let's see what, see how this goes uh, the first sh sh somewhat shitty thing that maybe we should just get out of the way uh, and Zach you might actually even with me having an article in front of me you might know a little bit more what's going on uh, with it all than I do but uh, maybe we should bring up some of Dynamite Entertainment's latest fiasco. Okay, so let's 
how do I want to go about this one? Let's dive into a few quick histories here. Dynamite Entertainment is one of the uh, top six comic companies. It is nowhere on the scale of uh, Marvel or DC, but it does tend to compete with Image or IDW or Dark Horse. It's, it's that kind of like the B-level. I say that they make some of the best books, like B-level comic companies. It does a combination of creator-owned books and... Um, uh, I, I'm trying to think of the word, but like, you know, uh, they have the Star Trek license. They had the Doctor Who license for a while. They have all of the old pulp characters. Mm -hmm. It's It makes for a pretty interesting company because of that, but it's uh, not as well known. But they do pull in some pretty good talent. Their owner is a guy named like Nick... Uh, it starts with a B, but I can't think of it because I did not look this up who has been making some noise Nick with, some comi or with some comic skate people. Nick Barucci, thank you. Now let's dive into comic skate a little quicker. That one's a lot faster. They're racists, for the most part, or just bigots. Mm -hmm. They spun out of the comic, or they spun out of Gamergate. So let that stop start you off on the right path. And they're people who are pissed that, I don't know, comics feature black people and women now? Yeah, they see it as a bunch of forced like, diversity rather than just trying to be inclusive. Mm -hmm. Unfortunate. And they have, a ha they have a habit of trolling people. They've ruined a few panels at cons. They spit a just shit ton of bile. And... A couple of creators that I used to be pretty big fans of, like Ethan Van Scriver, who did Green Lantern Rebirth and a bunch of Green Lantern work with Jeff Johns. And I want to say Mitch Breitweiser, who did a bunch of Captain America work and was super fucking good, got involved in this. And it's just like all the worst toxic fans in the community. Uh, the reason they pissed me off is they picked a dead guy, Darwin Cook, who wrote... Justice League The New Frontier, or I guess DC The New Frontier. And a spirit run, just one of the one of the truly great comic creators who died a couple of years ago. And they were like, oh, he would have been comic skate, and tried to like claim the dead guy's name, and when his Ugh. widow was like, Yeah, I don't think that's true, <laughs> they started attacking his widow. Yeah. They started like harassing her. And that's when I was like, Alright, comic skate, I know I didn't like you, but you can die in a fire. Like, you're, you're just terrible. But a lot of big Comicscape creators, which some people have kind of staked their reputation on because they can't get... It, it's a steady source of income of, like, cashing in on angry comics fans, even if it doesn't get you DC or Marvel work. Mm -hmm. uh, but they were being really chummy with Nick Barucci. He went on, like, some of their podcasts or live streams or something... And uh, they have been crowdfunding, like kickstarting, order or get this comic book with this unique cover that if you go through the Kickstarter from like Ethan Van Scriver or whoever, you know, comics gate artist. Mm -hmm. And because of this, like once this came out that he was, uh, who knows how closely tied, 
a metric fuck ton of creators have just been like, nope, I'm not going to work for Dynamite anymore. Like, if they're going to be associated with these people, then pass. But it was a bunch of big name creators like Gail Simone said this. Oh, I'm blanking his name, but uh, Declan Shavely. He was the artist on Warren Ellis' Moon Knight run. Oh, okay, yeah. He's done a bunch of work in the last couple of years, and he's not like rock star name, but he could be if, you know, the powers that be decided to like advertise him that way. So Dynamite has been catching a fuck ton of flack over this. Yeah. Um, a couple of the other artists, um, Carla Pacheco is pulled out, who was doing Betty Page for them. Uh, Matt Miners pulled out, who was doing the uh, licensed Guar comic. Uh, Christian mm-hmm. Ward, who was working on Red Sonia, as well as Tony Lee, who were both working on it. And I think quite a few other things, too. But those are the ones that I just have in front of me right now. Red Sonia tends to be one of their biggest sellings. It's like the biggest comic name that they have, like biggest comic that they have. So that's a that's a big one for them. Um, on the dark side of this, there is an artist named Jay Lee. He is probably best known. He did Inhumans a few years back. He did a he was the artist for the adaptations for the Dark Tower books that Marvel put out a few years ago. Oh, okay, and. He has a long-running relationship with Ethan Van Scriver because he worked on Scriver's creator-owned book, Battletoad. Mm. And using Comicsgate, Scriver's trying to get Battletoad going again, and Jay Lee, who does not know, who doesn't use the internet, so he doesn't know shit about this stuff, was like, yeah, sure, dude, whatever, I'll do a variant cover for Battletoad or Cyber Frog or whatever it's called I, Battletoads is an old video game. It's not Battletoads. Yeah, I think it's Cyberfrog. Cyberfrog or something like that. And he ended up getting a whole fuck ton of flack for it because they were like, oh my god, DC's got this comics gator working on it. And apparently, through unfortunate timing, everyone started like calling him and asking him and people were being mean on the internet and harassing him a little bit. And it was on the day that his dog died. Oh, I didn't know that about it. I knew that he didn't know fuck all about it because he's not online, but... So, the Tom King, who wrote Grayson and is writing, I don't know, some new series that Jay Lee is doing a comic cover on, was like, at first was like, hey, he's doing this, and it's Comicsgate, I don't like that, say no to Comicsgate. And then later on, he's like, nope, it's all good. Turns out he's not Comicsgate, and Jay Lee's like, no, it's not all good. I am not happy with you right now like mm. this was supposed to be the day that i could hang out with like and deal with the loss of my dog and instead i'm finding out if i still have a career over something that i don't know what's happening oh yeah i didn't know about that last part of it i knew that he was starting to get called out and somebody was like look he's not even like he doesn't have an online presence at all there's a good chance he doesn't know what's going on but that was as far as i yeah. had seen and it was just too bad and I, it, it's that weird balance that we have to remember, because I do think it's important to do stuff like call people out on shitty views. But, you know, be careful and don't harass people on the day that their dog died, because that's just sad. Yeah. All right, so dynamite sucks. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that boils down to. Uh, we can go on to happier yes. news, though. Ooh. Like, Please there's going to be an Usagi Yojimbo Netflix series. I did hear about this. 
Grizz, I don't know if you've ever read Yusagi Yojimbo. I've not. But you would love everything about this. Now, I want to point Usagi out that I, Ojimbo, I also have not read any Usagi Ojimbo, but I have a love for the character going back, uh, way, way back, because I had the Space Usagi toy from the Playmates 1991 teen- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles line. Okay, so Space Usagi is the weirdest part of Usagi Ojimbo. <laughs> but, um, so Usagi Ojimbo is created by, do you have who created him? Stan Sakai. Yep, Stan Sakai. Stan Sakai, who I believe is Japanese-American, but he might just be Japanese who moved to America. And it, he started creating samurai stories, but he did it in kind of a, like, cutesy animal storytelling. So Yusagi Yojimbo, which means rabbit um, samurai, is literally a rabbit yeah, samurai. Yeah, I, uh, I am weeb enough to know the translation without you having even told me that. <laughs> well... For the non-weebs who listen, personally. (laughs) (laughs) It is a very simple art style, and whenever you say, like, funny animals, because he openly draws inspiration from, you know, like, the old Scrooge McDuck comics, the, the, the funny animal genre, people tend to write it off, but it's not that. It's a completely legitimate version of uh, storytelling samurai stories with you know betrayal and murder and like really cute scenes and really like like romance and tragedy and the whole scope of human emotion but told through this funny animals lens there are ninja that are moles or bats there's like two different clans uh there is a Ronin bounty hunter name I can't remember his name, Jin, I think, who's a rhino who got his horn cut off and, like, swore revenge against the guy who cut off his horn. Hmm. It's just incredible. And then Space Usagi, which you mentioned just so real quick, is only a single-volume story, and it is just Usagi's... Uh, not an- What's the opposite of ancestor? Descendant. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's... Uh, Usagi's descendant in, like, a Star Wars universe, basically. And um, as far as I know, no one knows why he wrote it. He was just like, I have this idea. Bam. Space Usagi. And then they made it into a toy. And I had the toy until my little brother broke it. (laughs) (laughs) Little brother's Uh, His biggest claim to fame, beyond being he's been creating this comic since the 80s, it's one of the longest-running and most important uh, creator on comics of all time is that he has multiple times crossed over with the Ninja Turtles. Yes. So they were like in the toy line and he's been on a couple of their cartoons. I've never seen those episodes, but I've always meant to. I have. They're great. (laughs) It's perfect because he is a rabbit samurai and they are Ninja Turtles. Like it's just built for each other, but in a very strange way. Uh, how many episodes do we know? Uh, I don't think they've said how many episodes it's going to be yet. Um, it's going to be titled Samurai Rabbit, the Usagi Chronicles, and it's not actually going to follow Miyamoto Usagi. It's going to follow one of his descendants, a teenage rabbit named uh, Yuichi, who strives to become a samurai like his legendary ancestor. All right, I don't know if I love that or hate that, but it sounds like Sakai is going to be involved, and as long as he's down with it, I he has earned my trust. Yeah, it sounds like uh, it's basically going to be Sakai 
doing it alongside uh, James Wan's production company, Atomic Monster. Wan is doing a lot lately through yeah. that company. And he's been having a lot of fun with it, so I'm totally down for that. <laughs> okay, so this one I don't want to spend too much time on because it's mostly just weird. But NBC Universal has decided that it needs a comic book imprint. I did hear about this. It's called UCP Graphic, but they're not actually going to be publishing the comics. They're going to develop the comics and then publish them uh, with third-party publishers, most notably Boom Studios. And they pulled in Grant Morrison to start a comic series that I don't even think is going to be finished by him to, like, kick it off. It It is a kind of creatively bankrupt process that they're doing, but it will also, I mean, it'll pay Grant Morrison's bills for, like, a couple of years, probably, and it'll keep Boom Studios able to do the weird, interesting, fun books that Boom does for quite a while. Like, this is... I really don't blame any of the companies or people getting involved doing this. From what I understand, because it is in vogue to adapt comic books right now, it is way cheaper to hire someone to make a comic and then have it in the rules mm-hmm. or in the in the contracts that they have the licensing rights than it is to hire a bunch of Hollywood idea guys. Yeah. It's the same reason that in uh, there's a running theory that Marvel is not in danger pretty much no matter how bad sales go, because they are still just a goldmine of ideas for Disney to cash into million-dollar movie franchises. Yeah. Oh, there's all sorts. Uh, yeah. It's just a goldmine for ideas, the entire comics industry. So I, I can't blame them and for wanting to just have comics on hand that they can adapt but it's still a weird way to go about it as someone who prefers comics to the adaptations made on them this doesn't excite me that much other than the fact that as i said it's probably going to keep boom solvent for the next like three years even if it falls apart immediately yeah Uh, but we might get some good stuff out of it because it will make it easier for them to go to writers who aren't already in comic books, you know, TV writers, whatever, and be like, hey, you want to make something? Because you get some weird shit sometimes that way. Mm -hmm. All right. So I thought we were over bummer news, but it turns out that I have one more. Sorry. You lied to me. I know. This just started really like breaking yesterday big, and it kind of slipped my mind. Um... Oh, what's so Peter Shinkoda, who is the actor that played Nobu on the Netflix Daredevil series. Uh, who was the hand guy yeah, from season yeah, one? Yeah, he was the main hand guy. He uh, he <laughs> sort of let it out yesterday that apparently there was supposed to be a much bigger storyline involving uh, him and Madame Gao, but all of those ideas were sidelined thanks shows. to Jeff Loeb. Because, uh, according to Shinkoda, Loeb said that, quote, nobody cares about Chinese people and Asian people. God damn it, Jeff. God damn it, Jeff. Jeff Loeb is the reason I'm... One of the reasons I'm into comics, because he wrote Batman Hush, which is is one of the books that pulled me back 
when the comic zone is falling out, he has written three of my top ten Batman stories. Four, probably. Uh, his color series with Tim Sale, Daredevil Yellow, Spider-Man Blue, Hulk Gray, Captain America White. With the exception of Cap White, which is just fine. It's not bad. Uh, they are in my top stories for all of those characters. And I really hate that it sounds like he sucks. Yeah, here's uh, a bigger part of the Shinkoda statement is uh, Jeff Loeb told the writer's room not to write for Nobu and Gao. This was reiterated many times by many of the writers and showrunners that, quote, nobody cares about Chinese people and Asian people. There was three previous Marvel movies, a trilogy called Blade, where Wesley Snipes kills 200 Asians each movie. Nobody gives a shit, so don't write about Nobu and Gao. And they were forced to put their storyline down and drop it. Which I don't Jesus think is actually accurate as much as I remember Blade. I believe that a lot of the the vampires were... There was a lot of Asian ones, but I'm pretty sure it was pretty mixed between Asian and white. Like, he was killing a lot of white vampires, too. I doubt I've seen it in, like, 15 years. Wait, wasn't Dracula in the third one the guy who plays Heatwave in Legends of Tomorrow? Yes. Oh my god. Yes, it was. Like, I'm not, not to distract from actual, like important let's confront things that suck but oh my god that's amazing that like redeems that movie for me well and three also no, had ryan reynolds basically just playing deadpool yeah he was ryan reynolds playing ryan reynolds because he definitely wasn't playing any recognizable iteration of hannibal king but yeah so that all sucks Bleh. um i haven't seen if if Loeb's responded to any of this yet he was already uh, booted from Marvel's TV offerings just because they sort of started to go downhill out after a bit anyway um, before they shut down Netflix. Yeah. and who, I think he's still pretty high up this with sounds, Marvel, so who knows how that's all going to play out. But This sounds terrible, but Loeb's, the quality of Loeb's work dropped significantly after his son died. And I have not read much of his stuff since then because it was often not very good. Mm. Uh, so, like, if I end up stopping reading Loeb because of this, that's not a huge thing, because I already had been like, eh, his modern work is not very good. But still, the whole thing is gross, and it's a bummer. Alright, so, as of a couple hours ago, uh, reports have started to pop out that they have landed on Haley Steinfeld for being Kate Bishop in the Hawkeye series. I know who Kate Bishop is. She's young lady Hawkeye. I do not know who the first uh, name I, is. I haven't watched it yet, but I believe she was the lead in that Bumblebee movie that came out. Like the one about the Transformer Bumblebee. Oh, oh, okay. I thought you were talking about actual Bumblebees. Mm -mm. I thought maybe we got a sequel to B movie. No, 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 no. Like Transformers Bumblebee. Okay, that makes more sense. Um, Never saw it. Good for her. I like Kate Bishop. I like that entire Young Avengers group. Yeah, I want some Kate Bishop, but I don't know. I don't know enough about her to be super excited about it, but I'm excited that we're getting Kate Bishop. So even though we kind of already knew that, but I've never been super sold on the Hawkeye from the movies. So I look forward to maybe having a Hawkeye that has a personality. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm wondering is if she'll actually have like good archery form because jeremy renner does not no he's got real terrible and i didn't 
realize how bad that was until I started dating Cece and her entire family's archers, so I actually learned how to shoot. Yeah. And anytime I watched it, I'm just like, what the fuck? Yeah, what the <laughs> hell is he doing? I can't even shoot that good, and I look at him like, what? Why? You don't... You're supposed to be Hawkeye. You shouldn't need the biggest forearm guard of all time because you keep whacking yourself with your fucking string. <laughs> <sighs> anyway. Uh, Although Hawkeye himself has had that a few times. He said once to cover like that entire arm. And I'm like, you just <laughs> learn to shoot better, Hawk. Looted, learn to do better. Anyway, uh, they've announced that there's going to be a six-part Witcher miniseries that's a prequel talking about the very first Witchers. Live action. Okay, so they're working on Witcher they're working on Witcher season two. Yeah. They're working on a Witcher animated movie. And they're working on a Witcher prequel series. Yeah. Netflix wants that Game of Thrones money and they think they found it. Uh, they might have, dude. Witcher was great. <laughs> I was gonna say based off based off people's responses to Witcher, I'm not saying they're wrong. I just they found their cash cow. Oh, I still wish they would have ended up getting Mark Hamill to play Vesemir, but I'm pretty cool with the guy they got anyway, so. I just, I'll take Mark Hamill in just about anything. Like, they could tell me Mark Hamill was going to play Spider-Man, and I'd be like, well, that's weird, but let's do it. I'll take, like, 70-year-old joker voice Spider-Man. I'd watch the hell out of that, absolutely. <laughs> that was not as weird a choice as I was trying for, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> Huge amount of rumors that we're going to be getting a Donald Glover-led Lando Calrissian show on Disney+. Plus. Cool. Have Han and Chewie show up. Like, I really, really liked Solo, and he was my favorite part of Solo. So if they want to play more in that little area of the world they were working on, please do that thing. Well, uh, a lot of the talks also include the fact that Billy D might also be returning as Lando, so it might be like old Billy D recur like recalling his time as young Lando. You mean they're gonna give me young Indiana Jones in Lando Calrissian form? Oh my god, yes. That's kinda what it sounds like right now. That is the best news I have heard in in a long time. Uh, I think we're all still sort of crossing our fingers. The news hasn't come out from anywhere super official yet, but where the rumor first started was from the same source that dropped uh, the news about the Bad Batch before that was officially announced. So That's promising, then. Yes. Keep your fingers crossed. Should be awesome. Um, and I got one last thing that's super tiny, but... It kind of fits in. Uh, Grizz, you mentioned earlier you'd been watching uh, Encore over on The Plus, and this ties right into da into Disney music. Alan Menken got his EGOT. Ooh. The 16th, yep, the 16th person to get his EGOT. Uh, Menken, if you don't know the name, right off the top, he did the scores and songs for Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Pocahontas, uh, Little Shop of Horrors, Newsies, Hunchback Notre Dame, uh, Enchanted. Uh, Enchanted was so underrated. <laughs> just a bunch of shit. Uh, I'm trying to see. So he, I think he total has eight Academy Awards, 11 Grammys, a Tony. Um, he had a honorary 
Emmy, but he just won a legitimate daytime Emmy, and that's what got him his EGOT. Well done. Damn, son. That is... Anytime I hear EGOT, I think of 30 Rock, because there was a season-long plotline where Tracy was trying to earn his EGOT, but still, that is... That is super impressive and tends to be really deserved by the time someone has done that. Yeah. I mean, he he kind of wrote the soundtrack to, like, my childhood, so... Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, even the stuff that you listed that I'm not a big fan of, uh, Pocahontas, it the music tended to still be good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God, he, even, he was even a songwriter on Rocky V, which... Fuck, that movie sucks, but... Rocky V had enough going in it that it had multiple songwriters? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I've ever actually seen that one, but... Uh, and that's... That's kind of all I got for news. I, I did... Fi- it's not news, but I did find out one other interesting thing, I guess. And it's why we haven't okay. seen... Uh, why New Mutants hasn't just dropped on streaming yet. Why? What happened to this poor movie now? Part of the contract for when Disney bought Fox was that any projects that were about to be put out or currently in post-production had to be put out to theaters before it hits anywhere else. And nothing's happening with theaters right now, so... Right, nothing's happening in theaters now. And beyond that, um, for I think these first two years because of a previous contract that had been signed before the Disney acquisition, all the streaming rights to New Mutants would go first to HBO. God, this poor movie is never going to get released. It's going to be good, and they're going to want to do a sequel for it, but the characters will all be in their, like, 90s by that time. Right? I don't know, they... I will say uh, they did put out some more footage at Comic-Con that you can go look up. It's like the first two minutes of the movie plus a new trailer, and it looks f- so good. But who knows when we'll Give me get my to young see X-Men. It. Jesus Christ, they've like doubled oh, in age since it came out. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, let's talk about some cartoons. Yay, cartoons! So, when we first decided to do this, Grizz and I sat down and we came up with a list. I say sat down. We did this over text. It's 2020. Uh, Came up with a list of episodes to talk about in this, about Avatar The Last Airbender. And those episodes were, correct me if I am wrong here, the first episode, Mm -hmm. the secret tunnel episode, the introduction to Toph Wrestler episode, the dance party and Sokka's Master, or Swords Master yep. episodes. Sweet. Yep. Did not rewatch these because I had just watched them like a week and a half yeah. ago. I meant to. And then I watched Korra instead. How dare you enjoy something that isn't what you're watching? Or, nah. I am real bad at homework, guys. How and, dare like you? every week they're like, no, oh, did you, did, did we read this for this, you know, podcast that you're about to report on? I'm like, I sure didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to. <laughs> This is why I was bad at college, boys. Well, you're in luck. I watched them all twice. Oh, good. You see, that's part of the reason I'm like, oh, no, he'll... I know he'll do it. (laughs) I'd I'd be so screwed without you, Tyler. (laughs) Uh, But before we dive into and kind of figure out how we want to go about discussing those, what is your guys' relationship with Avatar? 
Where did you like first discover it? Uh, all right. Um, mine's probably the briefest because I've only ever watched both series once. Uh, I do really enjoy them both, but for me, it was kind of just an extra piece of the puzzle uh, during the time in my life when I was going super hard into martial arts movies. Mm. It was it was around that same time that it was put up on Netflix the first time. So me and my girlfriend at the time went through it because we're like, oh, look, this is cool and like kung fu-y. Only to find out just how <laughs> kung fu-y it was with all the styles being based off, like all the bending styles being based off of uh, martial arts styles. So it like checked all the boxes for me in a huge way. And even though I only watched all of the episodes once up until this point, like it was a super intense like studying it watch and yeah that's about I, I still appreciate it for that same reason actually the last like two seasons when they start going super hard into the bending i fucking love just for the uh basically the it being kind of like a mini martial arts movie for me so real quick there is my neighbor kids are screaming outside my window and sounding like someone died. So, and I don't know if the microphone is picking it up. So, if it sounds like I'm murdering someone in the background while Tyler's talking, it's because I am. Fantastic. Good. <laughs> oh, she just made a crying sound. Oh, I'm gonna feel really bad if you can actually hear that. Uh, her dad's out there. Otherwise, I'd be checking. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, Grizzly, what about yourself? Uh, so, I did not watch the show growing up. I didn't grow up with cable, because, you know, that actually happens to people, and it's horrible. Uh, so I found it years later online, just because all of my friends were like, Oh, this show is great! Rah, rah, rah! All of these cool things, like how it talks about, you know, major issues, and presents it really, really seamlessly into the show for children, and so it, I was just like, cool, I love learning about ethics and watching cartoons. This'll be great. And it was. So, <laughs> so yeah, now I try to limit myself to watching it all the way through about once a year, just so I don't overplay it. Yeah. Oh, that's definitely a thing. Yeah. I, uh, I remember, because you're in... Uh, Grizz was in my D&D game for years and will be again once, you know, we can see people again. And our game group has an ongoing chat that is mostly just memes and shitposting, but occasionally we actually talk about D&D. And you were getting excited to watch the live-action movie in it. Like, just this year, I yeah. want to say. Oh, no. Well, that oh, no. was... <laughs> so, that happened... I was off work between jobs like halfway through that month where I wasn't working, I had a dumb idea and I was like, hey, I've never watched this movie. I know the internet says it's garbage, but it can't possibly be that bad. And I was so wrong. It was worse than the internet told me. <laughs> I'm just one of the highlights. Of... Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm just happy to hear that even deciding to watch it between jobs, like, I'm just glad to hear you're still with us. Oof, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would, uh... Oh, it yeah. was, like, one of my favorite days of 2020 of just listen, getting messages from Grizz being like, I was wrong! I was so wrong! <laughs> oh, we're gonna have to do a whole episode about that movie at some point, but... 
I've never seen it. I chose well, not to. you're going to have to get tortured, and I'll torture myself again just to do that episode. <laughs> Hopefully we can meet in person at that point. So We'll just do that one uh, MST style. It's so style. much easier to talk to people. In what? I said we could just do that one MST style. Yeah, okay. That yeah, sounds great. Yeah, we'll set it up and just roast it. Oh, actually, that would be good. Oh, fun. hell yeah. Oh, my God. Um, let's see. My relationship with Avatar. The first time I watched it is actually, like, the first time I ever smoked weed when I was, like, 19 years old. Mm. There was a girl I had a crush on at the job at the time, and she's like, hey, I'm going to go watch Avatar and smoke a bowl after work. You want to come? And I'm like, yeah, I absolutely do. <laughs> and nothing happened, which is fine, because we would have been a terrible match. But I got introduced to Avatar. It was the... Um, oh, I almost picked it. It was the future... The the lady who can see the future that in the first season. Oh yes, fortune teller. Those are the words I'm uh, failing I to love say. the fortune teller episode. And then a group of friends, including Jason, who's in the same D and D group as uh, as Grizz and I are, were like, we're gonna play Diablo two. Which, first of all, this is like 15 years after Diablo two came out. This is 2010. Uh, and I'm like, yes, I am in. It's the one video game I've ever been good at in my life. Right? And we're going to do all of the characters based off of Avatar, and we're going to binge watch Avatar while we're playing this. And I'm like, well, I don't know anything about Avatar, but I'm still in. And so the first time I watched through the whole series was while playing Katara on Diablo 2 as an ice sorceress. Oh. Which was fucking baller, by the way. Nice. I like that. And then we encountered a character who was immune to ice, and I was like, I have literally nothing. <laughs> I'm so screwed. I do, I, I forgot to mention with my history of Avatar, even though, once again, my history with it is short, it has bounced way up my list, and as far as, like, if I try to think of, like, the family-friendly properties that everyone in the world should probably watch at some point, this is right below, like, bone for me. Someone gave it a bad review online recently, like a, a person I know, and I had to stop myself from getting mad at them. Oh, was that the... Uh, <laughs> nope, they're allowed to have opinions. Was that the silly meme where they were talking about how Avatar's not that great, rah, 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 yada, yada, it's just a bunch of blue people wandering around an alien planet? <laughs> <laughs> no, though that does make me mad, just, just you saying those words, that made me a little angry, so... Uh... Ugh, av Avatar Blue Cat People is an episode I do not want to do. <laughs> oh, those have all been delayed again right. because of COVID, but... Yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, James Cameron. Uh, so how do we want to go about discussing this? I, I probably should have asked this question before we started recording. Well, maybe. Before we get too far into it, one of you guys should explain to the people at home if they don't know what the fuck we've been talking about, what is, like, what's the Somehow. premise, what's the setup, what is Avatar The Last Airbender? Grizzly, I choose you. Fantastic. <laughs> so, Avatar The Last Airbender is set in this world where um, people have abilities based on the classic four elements. Earth, water, air, and fire. And so, and they can use these elements to manipulate the energy around them and do cool stuff. But there is one person in every generation that is able to manipulate all four elements. And that is the Avatar. 
Um, so basics set up for the last airbender series the one we're talking about today is the avatar has been missing for a hundred years and during that time the fire nation has run amok and tried to make the entire world their own imperialism yes yes so (laughs) that is the basic setup coming into the first episode the pilot episode and yeah Thumbly, you got anything else on it? Let's see if I can get these right, because all four nations are based af- are based on actual cultures. Um, and we should see a... This is a very Asian series, even though it was created by Nickelodeon and American Audience, but it was mostly done by, I want to say, Korean animators? I don't know enough to correct you, so go for it. <laughs> but uh, the the Earth Nation is largely based off of ancient China. The Fire Nation is largely inspired by Japan. The Water Tribe is mostly Inuit, although you meet Florida Man in it, which is amazing. Mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, just tribal and cultures and the Air Tribe. Water. Mm-hmm. And the Air Nation, or the Air Nomads, is Tibetan slash Shaolin monks. Yeah. Okay. Just world bending i was making sure i had those right and i know that all four bending styles when they show them doing it are based off real martial arts yeah ooh, i know I these don't ones know enough to know which one's which i can get these ones uh water bending is mostly based on tai chi air bending is mostly i'm gonna fuck up the name of this it's mostly based on ba bagua zhang which is a uh, eight trigram palm since we talked about mortal kombat kind of recently Ashra in Deception and Katana in Deadly Alliance use a trigram palm. Oh, cool. Let's see. Uh, Firebending is mostly Northern Shaolin Fist. Or Northern Shaolin, sorry, not Northern Shaolin Fist. Normally in, like, Kung Fu, if somebody just brings up Shaolin style, it's Shaolin Fist. But Northern Shaolin actually has a greater emphasis on kicking. And Earth. Oh, kicking's a big part of yeah. that one. Uh, Earthbending is the most varied throughout the series. Most of it is based on Hunga, which is super, like, uh, as far as movie kung fu styles go, uh, Hunga is almost the most generic, if only because it is so closely tied to Wong Fei Hung, who is was both a real person and has turned into a bit of a folk hero, and there's been over a hundred movies made just about him alone. Uh, in fact, in... Oh, similar to what Ip Man is becoming. Hmm? Similar to kind of what Ip Man is becoming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, just... It's the most varied... Uh, almost every different, like, faction of Earthbenders you run across use actually a slightly different style. Uh, but... The biggest difference is Toph actually uses northern-style praying mantis because it emphasizes her feet being on the ground even more so that she can continue to see. Hmm, yeah. Ugh, this show is so cool. Okay. <laughs> so do we want to go through this episode by episode, or do we want to just kind of talk about whatever the show makes us think of? Yes. Let's with do those we watch this. Okay, thank you, Chris. Very uh, helpful. Yeah, we'll just start at the beginning and go from there. Yeah, I was going to say, well, 
we chose those five episodes to to sort of focus on, and one of them is the very first episode, which is a great place to start. So it it seemed like a weird one to not include. If we're like, okay, let's pick like the five episodes that define the show. The one that literally defines what the show was going to be was going to have to be in there. I think uh, it is definitely the weakest episode of these five that we're mentioning. It's the most that feels like a. Avatar never doesn't feel like a kid's show, but this is when it feels like a kid's show. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to it, I was really impressed, though, with this first episode and how well it actually sets up the rest of the series. I feel like a lot of pilots aren't as clean-cut about showing what everyone's motivations are going to kind of be down, down the line. And this sort of laid out a lot of like your main character's character arcs Mm -hmm. yeah this they knew who these characters were from before they even spoke the other thing i didn't know when i was going into this uh and it makes so much more sense for how good this series is but a lot of episodes including this pilot episode which sets the tone for the rest of the series was directed by dave filoni who has been making star wars great for us for the past decade so Oh shit! I didn't know Filoni was involved in Filoni directed. Avatar. That makes um, this the first episode for sure. I'm going to see which other ones out of the ones we we covered because I think he directed a couple of others too. Oh my god, him and his cowboy hat are so good. He didn't do all of them. Actually, I was wrong. Out of the ones we're talking about, he only directed that one. Uh, but he directed. Oh, okay. I think Sorry, at, I was getting confused on what we were talking. Right. About. I think he directed at least four of the episodes in the first season alone. So nice. Okay. So we start off two water tribe kids up at the. They start at the North start at Pole. South. Yes, there's other water tribe. Start at the South Pole, and they're trying to go up to the North Pole. That's right. Thank you. I always get those two. <laughs> well, you had around. a fifty-fifty chance of getting um, it right, so here we are. And I screwed it up. They're over at that East Pole. <laughs> um, yes, they're over at the East Pole, and they are trying to fish and find themselves on a iceberg. That has a boy, and us. More importantly, a sky bison trapped inside. I don't know, man. This Go ahead. this first episode, like this first season, as you already pointed out, like it, it feels a lot more kiddy compared to the other ones we're mm-hmm. gonna talk about. But out of that first season, other than maybe the last like three or four episodes, this might be the least little kiddy feeling to me. Because Aang gets a lot more childish for, like, the seven episodes that follow this. It's true. He's a little... Aang can be a bit of a brat Mm. sometimes, but he's also 13, I want to say. I mean, he's a kid with hardcore trauma. Hardcore trauma. And most of the trauma is, Um, like, through just the show. You don't really see anything beat or they don't really allude to anything happening other than just, hey, by the way, you're the Avatar. We were going to tell you in four years, but, uh, well, the Fire Nation are being shysty, and here we are. Um, yeah. They, and we, we don't really re- find out until a few episodes later, but he ran away and almost died, and basically being the Avatar saved him, and he gets trapped in an iceberg for a hundred years. <laughs> when he, when he what finds like out that it's a hundred years from... later, I couldn't help but start laughing and thinking that like Dave Lister wishes that it was only a hundred years that he was traveling. But 
Oh yeah, Red Dwarf is three million years. He's like, you shut up, <laughs> kid. Um, I do like that from the very beginning, Aang's character is absolutely consistent. Because all Aang wants to be is a kid. That's why he ran away from being the Avatar in the first place. Like, he's... the uh, I think the only sane one being like, guys, I'm 12 or 13 years old. This is nuts. And, I mean, from the first sentence, all he wants to do is ride the Penguin Seal. Yep. And I absolutely agree with him on that. He is 100% correct to want to ride on the Penguin Seal. Now, it didn't seem like the Penguins minded that much, but there was a little bit there where I was like... Like, 11, 12-year-old, like, he's not he's not a big guy yet, but he's got a little bit of weight on him, and you're using an animal as a sled. That kind of sucks, but it looks fun. <laughs> yeah. Seals are bigger than we give them credit for, though, a lot of the time. Yeah. Like, we look at seals, and we're like, oh, they're so cute and cuddly. Those fuckers get big. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> also, kids' show. Uh, <laughs> I, it does give us an opportunity to drop... The tendency of this show, instead of making up new creatures, being like, oh, it's a like, nope, it's a seal and a penguin in the same thing. Or it's a platypus and a bear in the same thing. Or an armadillo bear. Or the the turtle duck. Or the... (laughs) Badger mole. God, there are how many bears? There is only only one regular animal in the entire series. And that is... And it creeps yeah, everyone out. and no out. one knows what to do with it. Because there's like, no. Just a bear? Are you sure? <laughs> is that possible? Uh, Anyways. It, it does a really good job of making this world feel foreign but familiar mm-hmm. at the same time. Oh, there's also Sky Bison. Which isn't multiple things, but it's a Sky Bison. And I can't watch this series with Cece without her spending the entire time going, Appa, 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 Appa. Oh, I love Appa so much. Oh, she wants a Sky Bison so badly. I mean, I'm seriously afraid of heights, and I want a Sky Bison. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I mean, really, the episode just serves to set, to set them all up. We got Aang, mm-hmm. who doesn't want to be the Avatar, yeah. but is the Avatar. He kind of has to learn how to be the Avatar, and that's we kind of get that in a mini form in just the, the opening two episodes. Mm-hmm. And showing how he has to be able mm-hmm. to do these things to be able to protect the people the way he wants to. Mm-hmm. But also him just wanting to have fun. You get, like, the introduction to Sokka, who he just wants to be a good warrior. And that follows the entire series. And we'll cap that off a little bit with Sokka's mm-hmm. master. But uh, Sokka being the only one of the main characters who can't bend. Yep. Mm-hmm. And is... Probably my favorite character of the group, especially watching it this most recent time. I mean, he's the one most willing to call out bullshit, which I appreciate. Oh, no, I don't agree with that. I'd say Katara for most willing to call out other people's bullshit. Because that's literally how they found Aang, was Katara calling Sokka out on being a misogynist prick. You know what? That's very good point. Like, this, this has been pointed out to me before. This was a Nickelodeon show in what, 2005? Yeah, it aired in. First air was 2005. And they start out immediately with two characters of color, and the, the girl character immediately calls out the casual sexism of the other mm-hmm. character. Like, this was. It, it's not super crazy ideas, but it is. 
this show is unapologetically progressive, it would be considered SJW Claptrap yep. if it came out today. Like, we'd get those complaints. Mm-hmm. It is so good for it. Oh, my God, I love um, it so much. I was uh, just thinking about that. I, I would kind of agree with both of you. I feel like Katara is the one that's most likely to call out anybody's bullshit, but Sokka's the one that's more likely to, like, kind of stand up and speak truth to power in a way, and he's not afraid to sort of back down because he's already the most quote-unquote powerless one of the group to begin with. Well, and Sokka calls out situational bullshit. Katara will be like, you, person, are being an asshole. Sokka's like, this doesn't even make sense what's happening right now, (laughs) is what, I guess, kind of what I meant about, like, most willing to call out bullshit. Uh, he gets to be the voice of the audience anytime the the concepts get too over the top, or yeah. or anytime is something like a super antiquated idea, like the fortune teller reference or episode you were referencing earlier. Sokka is all about being like, no, this is bogus science. It's not even science. <laughs> like, uh. It kind of taps into that, like, strong atheism that sometimes drives me nuts, where I'm like, okay, you you can disagree with them without belittling them. But also, when they're like, what, can you explain how the clouds work? And he just goes, yes! Uh. <laughs> Was so relatable in the year 2020. But then also on the other side of things, since we have, I don't think we've mentioned his name yet, like, we get introduced to Zuko, too. Yep. And at least the beginning of... I mean, he might be the most complicated character in the entire series. And I forgot how much I hated mm-hmm. him, like, first off. Mm-hmm. Oh, I so didn't want him to become a good guy. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> but it gets pretty clear yeah. pretty young. This show came out in 2005. Yeah. And so, like, everyone else kind of gets set up for their overall arcs. Zuko gets set up for, like, what he's going to do this season. Honestly, yeah. that's the part about this season that I like the most is it sets everyone up for everything, but also just, it is a good baseline for character growth. We see Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. everyone is. Aang is the child that has to act way beyond his years. We have Katara, who is way too mom friend for anyone's good, especially her own. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But she's been kind of forced into that position, which I have met... So many women that found themselves being the mom mm. friend, whether they wanted to or yeah. not. And honestly, she doesn't lose that role until way later when... Actually, no, she's always the mom friend, and it really sucks for her. But she does eventually figure it out a bit. They balance it, it better as the other characters mm, grow up a yeah. bit. Uh, we have Sokka, who has very patriarchal tendencies, and... That's way stronger in the first season, mm-hmm. too. Like, it, it doesn't take long for them to call him out on it in really significant ways, but he's definitely yeah, I think traditional s- I think guy. episode three or four is when we meet uh, the Kyoshi Warriors, which is the first, like, real call-down for Sokka, which is excellent and phenomenal. Oh, it's so uh, good. We have yeah. Zuko, who is very focused on his task. It's literally all he's done for the last three years is just search for the Avatar because of decisions he's made. 
And then we have we Uncle, have Uncle Iroh. Iroh. Uncle Iroh! Who <laughs> disgraced former military general. I say disgraced, but like, he's still one of the nation's heroes, despite not conquering mm-hmm. bossing, say. He, all he wants to do is teach Zuko how to be a good human being. And Zuko does not want to learn yet. <laughs> so, uh, one thing I... Th- Go ahead, Thumbly. One thing I think the show does so well, and I think Iroh makes it possible, I don't think they could have done this without it, is even the bad guys, you know, with Zuko being the definitely the bad guy in the season, and Iroh sort of counting, because he's his, like, number two slash mm-hmm. teacher, is... Even the bad guys, you find yourself cheering for them. Like, you want them to succeed in things, even if you don't want them to catch the Avatar. Yeah, and that's... Like, anytime they go up against other Fire Nation, you're like, go Zuko, yeah. you got this. And that's part of just the genius of the writing, and how they presented the enemies. Like, they first season, they wrote everything is pretty black and white. Like, if they're from Fire Nation, this is a bad thing. They are causing global crisis. If they are from literally anywhere else, Mm -hmm. they are good people. And then as we work into the show, we see how that isn't actually the case. And it's, I see it as kind of a, it's just a classic teaching mechanism. You start with a good baseline when you teach kids like, hey, this is how things are. And then as they get older, you teach them more details that show, hey, what we taught you before isn't the entire story, and it's a little more nuanced than that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's just part of the anti-imperialism message of it, it's so easy to write off everyone on the other side as bad guys and everyone on your side as good guys, mm-hmm. and it's always so much more exactly. complicated than that. And we get, mm-hmm. in real life or yeah, in We Avatar. get to see a lot of good humans portrayed and a lot of bad humans portrayed very accurately in this show as it goes on and it's just phenomenal as as nuanced as this show gets uh with these rewatches there was there was just something i couldn't help an idea that i could just couldn't help but shake when i was watching those how much like this show was basically made for like the 9 to 14 year old audience for the most part and it gets super yeah. nuanced, especially for that age range, to the point where like it does it better than some of the more quote-unquote adult shows that I've watched. But yes. I couldn't help but wish, uh, with some of these situations, including in just these fer- very first two episodes, that like we had the version of this show that had hour-long episodes and was made for like the like 14 to 21-year-old age range, where they could go deeper into, like... Like, at the very end of these first two episodes, when the Water Tribe sends them away, like, look at the makeup of of who's left with the tribe. Like, I would love to see a little bit more of the nuance of, like, them kind of risking it all. Like, we're sending away the two people that probably do overall the most actual work in the tribe because they're the ones that are in the right age range, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We might not well, survive. I've never thought of that before, and now I'm super sad. But oh, Jesus Christ! We might not survive, but we're doing this because of the hope of the world is in the Avatar. Man, uh, yeah, this show. Any critiques I have, I can usually write off as as nuanced as this show can get. It is still a 
as you said, nine to fourteen Nickelodeon show from two thousand five. Like it, it is still fits within its genre of television, and it just pushes those boundaries farther than you're used to. Yeah, like this is for the most part way later, but. Towards the end of the series, Aang is like, I've never killed anyone. I'm like, oh, man. Oh, bitch, you've killed so many people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He he hasn't killed anyone in the same way that, like, Batman and the Burton Batmans hasn't killed anyone. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And I I would have loved CC and I to got talking about this the other day when we mentioned we were going to record this episode. A more nuanced, like, I have never actively killed someone as opposed to some people have died as a result of my actions but i also get why that wasn't going to fly on nickelodeon mm-hmm. yeah also ang was 12 he uh, might not have just known the difference yeah i'm just saying he has sunk many ships in the middle of the ocean while people are wearing yep. metal armor <laughs> like <laughs> we once we once joked about making a drinking game where every time Aang kills someone you take a shot and then we got to the end of season one and we're like oh we would die we can't do well, this well I mean yeah that's a bad idea you'd be fine up until <laughs> like those last few episodes and then just straight poison at that point yeah <laughs> oh the the other thing that I liked that they kind of set up though is uh the romance you have Aang just Smiling at Katara, not even real. Oh, I was smiling. Oh yeah, no, he uh, he wears his heart on his sleeve. It's a it's a real problem for him the entire time. And I forgot that they had set that up like from the get go. And I've always thought it was cute. Oh, from so. the very beginning. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because part of me keeps being like, he's thirteen. Calm it the fuck down. But also, I'm I find myself super hardcore cheering for those yeah. two and being like, no, they're meant to be together. Never should you actually in life think that the person you had a crush on when you were 13 is the person you're meant to be with, because it definitely was not for me. But uh, again, kids show, so I'm a little more willing to go it. I do like that in that romance, they are allowed to be children, and this is actually I think a good place to jump into the cave of two lovers or. The secret tunnel episode, as I call it, mm. as most people call it, because that's a much bigger plot point in the second episode. Yeah. So if you two are good Absolutely. with that, I'm good with it. Uh, Ang is allowed to be a kid with a crush, so he says the wrong thing a lot. He misinterprets situations and he's called out when he does, which I think is important to see. But he's still a good kid, and, like, he's still... You can tell that these people legitimately care about each other. They're just not sure how to deal with emotions yet, because they're teenagers. Yeah. You know, it's awesome that they're allowed to deal with it as children, and I'm also really glad that it just didn't end up being Blue Lagoon, but... Right. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Pass. Oh, God. Um, Make that fucked up. Sorry, Uh, I just had to make the Blue Lagoon reference when you have... Child romance, oh but oof. oh my god, Big you're a monster. Uh, Secret Tunnel episode is because this is early yep. season two, uh, right? Second episode, yep. yeah. At this point, they have beaten, had a major win against the Fire Nation, and has learned water bending. He has often tried to f- learn earth bending. He's still on the way to Omashu to find Boomy at yes. this point. I want to say, uh, Omashu is effectively the other side of this mountain from where they are. Yes, thank you. And they run into this group of hippies who have the most 
weirdly addictive song of all time that I used to torture my roommate with because he hated this song. It blows my fucking mind that a Nickelodeon show had a character so obviously based off of Tommy Chong. And so clearly high throughout the entire So stoned throughout this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I felt... Great kinship with Chong. Anyway. Uh, yes, the Chong character clearly has no idea what's going on, but he knows the legend of a secret tunnel. <laughs> secret <laughs> tunnel. Through the mountain. Secret, secret, secret tunnel. Which used to be the song that played when I got a call on my phone. And as I said, my poor roommate, who did not like this episode much, just came to despise this episode because of it. <laughs> Classic. This episode, I think, does some of the best job of letting them be kids in their own way. As we said, Katara and Aang have their cutesy, like, trying to figure out the the concepts of romance because they keep telling these stories about the two lovers. And Aang is just like, yes, that should be us. And we have the world's most awkward moment of they're trapped in the cave and the legend says love will guide the way. And Katara's like, hey, what if we kiss? Do you think that would work? And just... Us kissing. Everything involving a 12-year-old. Yeah, us kissing. (laughs) What a horrible (laughs) idea. No, it's not horrible. Yeah, yeah. uh, I'd rather rather kiss you with a die. (laughs) It's supposed to be a compliment. You can see... You can see every step where Aang is trying so hard to not, like, to, to not put his foot in his mouth, but he keeps going oh, yeah. further and further and further. And it is one of mo- the most relatable things about early attempts at dating in life that I have ever mm-hmm. seen. You've got a crush on this person, you don't know how to deal with it, the person, like, y- you don't want to make something sound big because, oh god, it's embarrassing, but if someone else writes it off at all... You're suddenly super offended. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Sokka, you just get the lovely him having to deal with hippies when he's been separated <laughs> from the rest of them. And they're, as we said, clearly super high the whole time. And poor rational Sokka. Poor rational Sokka. Just losing his mind. Yeah, that pretty much sums up the series. It, it's get... interesting, too, because normally Sokka is like... He's the clueless one, but it's usually unintentional. Like, he just, he's either not a bender, or he wasn't around when something happened. And so, it it falls on him, usually to be like the comic relief, and it plays into that, uh, with him being clueless about some things. But in this one, he's, like, juxtaposed against this group that are intentionally clueless. They don't care. Oh, they're so dumb. <laughs> and he's like, wait, like... You guys can't just not know. Like, we gotta try to do things. <laughs> and they're like, nah, it's, it's good. And he's like, I'm in the same boat as you guys right now, but I need to get something done. And they're like, nah, it'll just happen. No, it'll, it'll fix itself. <laughs> yeah, it's a good place where we get to learn more about Sokka. Of Sokka, they do a really good job of not just having him be the sidekick character. When you have a bunch of characters with superpowers and one guy who doesn't, it's so easy to just, you know, make that character uh, whatever goofy sidekick is hanging out with the hero. These guys absolutely could not function without Sokka. He's not Snarf in all of this. And so putting Sokka 
the like planner and the str strategic guy with the person who absolutely doesn't care what happens ten minutes from now <laughs> is comedy gold to help balance out the incredible uncomfortableness of a fourteen year old with a crush. Well, and then <laughs> with with Sokka's bit, we also run into the badger moles and find out that badger moles mm. can teach earthbending and were the original earthbenders. Yeah, which sets us up for as we move on. <laughs> Indeed. Just which kind of Oh, Go I was ahead, probably Chris. about to say the same thing you're going to, so finish. Oh, okay. Which kind of sets us up to uh, our next episode, which is the Blind Bandit. Oh my god, so this is where in the series it starts getting super good for me. <laughs> why am i not surprised at all that where it starts getting super good is the wrestler episode uh yeah well like i said i'm super partial to like all the bending and stuff in the series to begin with mm -hmm. um not that there hasn't been loads of bending in some of the episodes that we skipped over especially like the last three or four episodes of the first season but mm -hmm. oh man toff is a fucking phenom this episode has a Tough shit ton of, of bending and on a more like more metal level it's when ang has to start learning earth bending is where i really start actually liking him more and not just thinking of him as a kind of annoying kid well he has to grow up more to do it like water bending comes pretty easy to him earthbending forces actually like confronting aspects of his personality mm -hmm. well, yeah um i mean earthbending he has to wait and listen and up to this point that's definitely like the last things he's been wanting to do he's been well, like the wind he's been super flighty popping all around and now it's you gotta stop with earthbending he has to take a stand and you have to remember he ran away because he didn't want to take that stand. And again, I get why he was 13. It was bullshit. He was put in that situation. But up until this point, like you, you get his, he's still a very moral character. He still stands up for Rut's right. But season two feels a lot more when he starts actively fighting back a lot more. Mm -hmm. uh, at this point, their previous attempt to find his old friend, Boomy to teach Aang earthbending doesn't work out because the Fire Nation has been conquering the Earth Kingdom. And the and going looking for new masters, they go to they go watching Earthbending Wrestling. Which I don't like wrestling, and I would super go watch an Earthbending Wrestling match. That Just for the boulder. Amazing. That's such a great personality. Oh my god. Uh, also the boulder so, was voiced the by Mick Foley. Thank you. That's what I was about to ask, because I knew they got a real wrestler to do that. Mick Foley, uh, probably better known as Mankind or Dude Love or Cactus Jack, and just a fucking warm, brilliant, amazing guy. Um, I owned, I can't find them, but I did own his first biography and have read the first and second because I had uh, a friend that also was a big fan of him, so... When I was telling you about the first time I watched these, I was playing Diablo, playing through Diablo 2 with it. Our buddy Jason, who I'm trying to get on the podcast, but we just haven't managed it yet, had made Azula originally and didn't like how Azula was coming out. So he remade The Boulder. 
and he learned the one druid spell, which is a boulder that rolls and then explodes. And for the entire season, because I think we beat the game somewhere around the end of season two, he just cast that one spell repeatedly, and anytime he did something, he yelled, The boulder is getting a drink now! The boulder! <laughs> any, any excuse. Way to be in character. Which, Grizzly... Grizzly has played D&D with this guy, so this is very appropriate. Uh-huh. He made a character named Dr. Professor Panencia, MD. And I'm not going to go into that, because that'll take don't hours have that and has nothing to do with Avatar. But, uh... <laughs> uh, it's just great. I this is one of I think the most fun episodes. Just it it does advance the plot a lot, but it's very willing to spend the time showing off the goofy w- world building, and then in ways that I really appreciate. Also, in the background, we get to see uh, Zuko and Iroh off on their kooky adventures in exile. Oh yeah, yeah. By this point, uh, we didn't mention it last episode. Zuko and Iroh have become enemies of the Fire Nation. So not only is he, like, the exiled prince... He's now the traitor exiled He's not even really hunting... Yeah. He's not hunting the Avatar anymore. He's on the run. And Zuko is such a bitch throughout this entire season. (laughs) But it's super important world building. I was so mad to start to like Zuko with this. There is a scene in this season where he is being taught to redirect lightning and his uncle's like, I'm not shooting lightning at you. Are you nuts? And so he goes on top of a mountain in a storm, hoping that lightning will strike him so he can redirect it. And he screams out, come on universe. You've never held back before. And it is the most emo moment in possibly the history of television. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's so good. Dumb at the same time. And I think this episode is also I think this is also the episode where Zuko splits off from Iroh and really goes down the path. I have to figure out who I am And I gotta do it alone. Alone. Which, to be fair, is one of the better Zuko episodes of the season. But, yeah, he has to... In this season, there's so much where Zuko can almost be a good person and then he makes the wrong choice. And all of that wrong choice making makes him a much more interesting character, particularly in season three. But, oh my god, it is so... Uh, I just hate him so much in these early uh, seasons. Well, he he was... You be nice to your uncle. Uh, right? Please be nice to Iroh. All he wants is your love. <laughs> Since we haven't mentioned it, Iroh is voiced by the legendary voice actor Mako, who was Aku and Samurai Jack, and is in a bunch of other stuff. He was also... Uh, he was in Conan the Barbarian, and he was in MASH, of all things, when he was young. Hmm. Which I did not realize until I saw also starring Mako, and I'm like, wait, I've seen that guy like 15 times. <laughs> Holy shit, that's Uncle Iroh, as a young man in yeah. the Korean War. Um, so I was, I don't know, I, I didn't see for sure a, uh, a thing, uh, a, a source for this, but I when I was looking up a little bit of trivia about this episode and just to pull it back around to the wrestling real quick, apparently the boulder is the boulder because they originally tried to get the rock. Oh my God. That's wonderful. Oh Jesus. <laughs> which makes it even funnier that it was Mick Foley to end up voicing him because the mankind and the rock 
had a extremely famous feud for a while in the WWF, which ended up with them becoming tag team partners for a little bit as the Rock and Sock connection. But <clears throat> that's wonderful. Jesus Christ. Oh my God. I so want to get into wrestling because every time I hear everything about it, I'm like, this is amazing. But anytime I watch it, I'm like, this is terrible. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I can't, wrestling I can't say much about trying. modern day wrestling, but Attitude Era. Oh, Attitude Era. <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh, it was so bad. That's what made it good, Thumbs. <laughs> get your shit together. Get my shit together. Okay. Figure it well, out. The other, the other great thing about this episode is... Please. Uh, you have Toph for the first time, because it's obviously the first time she meets them, calling Aang both Twinkle Toes and a fancy dancer, which of course then comes up in the headband. <laughs> it comes up in the headband, it, and it comes up it comes up in Legend of Korra. It comes up like sixty years later yep. in the storylines. But that's a different episode. Since we haven't talked about Toph yet, Toph is a is arguably the greatest earthbender in the world. She is a blind girl who I think is about Aang's age. She looks she's shorter than the rest of them, so I always assumed she was one of the younger ones. Well, Toph's the biggest badass in the show. I don't give a fuck if Aang's the Avatar, so like Toph's where it's at. Yeah. And Toph's big thing is she is blind. But she can see through basically echolocation through the ground. She can feel, like, the vibrations. Which gives us some great, like, Daredevil vision shots throughout the show. Oh, yeah. So just yeah. visually is amazing. It is like Daredevil vision. And she's... Yeah. And she's just... Her entire thing is... She was raised this to be this, like, proper little rich girl who's always babied because she's blind. And instead, she's... A you know rough tomboy who sneaks out at night and joins wrestling matches, and fucking dominates wrestling matches, and basically is the most likely to get into a fist fight out of anyone in this, other than she would you know just crush you with a boulder instead of punching mm -hmm. you. Yeah, out of anyone in the cast, her and Zuko are the only ones that would fight God. Yeah, and Zuko would do it because she was mad, and Toph would do it because she'd think that would be awesome. And Toph would probably win. <laughs> oh, yeah. It'd make a hell of a show, to be sure. <laughs> Don't fuck with Toph. Throughout this, the, the main actual plot of the story, which we haven't actually mentioned, as I said, Aang is looking for his earthbender. He tries to find Toph, or he tries to win over Toph, who doesn't want to disappoint her parents. So she's like, no, I totally am not an amazing fucking wrestling champion earthbender. Which, real quick, we just talked about how many people would die in the world of Avatar. Earthbending would be like the quickest to murder oh, yeah. people. They talk about how dangerous fire is, but they'll, then they'll just like launch boulders at people and be like, you'll be fine. <laughs> You're okay. I was only like a three ton boulder. It's where cartoon physics maybe kicks in the most. Toph, I think, brings in new life. Like, the group had gotten a little too chummy. Yeah, she definitely brings in some animosity. Like, I mean, they're always a group oh, that's very close, but. She's she's so willing to just throw everything into chaos at the drop of a hat. Which she would see through her feet. Yes, exactly. Um, and I think it's because she's one of the few characters that's kind of allowed to be selfish in it. Yeah. Like yeah. Sokka and Katara, whatever their issues they have, they're also very close brother-sister pair that's been working together their entire lives. And Aang is 
literally would give you the shirt off his back because that's how like that's how his culture was designed while Toph is just like nope I'm awesome I can just take care of myself fuck off all of you (laughs) for good and bad there's an entire episode about that yes which of course is not one of the ones we picked but apparently I'm going to talk about it anyways a little (laughs) bit in the first season Sokka had been way more skeptical of everything but he's pretty on board by this point because he's you know seen the Avatar state well, Toph just doesn't care. Yeah. I mean, she was taught how to earthbend by <laughs> a bunch of badger moles in secret. So, just zero fucks given there. Yeah, Toph knows how cool she is. So, she is less than prove than anything anyone else. I just love how s- almost seamlessly she ends up fitting in. Like, I can't think of the gang without thinking of Toph. But she doesn't come in till the series is almost at the halfway point. Yeah. Uh, it was really jarring to watch season one because I hadn't in a long time. I hadn't, I, I've watched episodes off and on, but I haven't done a real rewatch in a couple of years at this point. And I kept being like, God, this is, it just feels so small. Like what I think of as Team Avatar definitely is not there yet. But Toph makes it there. Oh my God. And it's, the series does just go straight up from there partly just because they by the time Toph comes in they've set up enough plot lines that can really start taking off but part just because Toph is so good any other thoughts on I guess season two in general book two earth nah not really um I think I mean or book two in general like I mean my biggest thing like I said is that it's where I started liking Aang so no I think I'm good all right uh, it brings us to book three. Everything kind of goes to hell over the course of book two. Like, it looks like they're going to win. It looks like they're going to win. Turns out it's going real badly. The Earth Kingdom falls. At this point, the Fire Nation has won the war. This has been going on for a century. And everyone goes undercover in their plot to beat up Mark Hamill. I mean, <laughs> Fire Lord Ozai, played by Mark Hamill. Oh, Mark Hamill. During this, Grizz, this is actually, like, the one episode that you were like, no, we need to do this episode. Yes. So, I love this episode specifically because it really humanizes the quote-unquote enemy, and it just shows kind of how oppressive long-standing nationalism is, and just mm-hmm. how... how very thorough propaganda can kind of really desensitize you or that's not that's not the word i'm looking for uh it can just really narrow everything and wipe out large swaths of history and so that all you know is yeah we're great and uh everyone else can deal with it yeah the like it does have a whole lot of the kind of like chairman mao feel of communist china although there were bits that i was like oh that's uncomfortable mm-hmm. yeah especially in our current Relatable. political climate um yeah the 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 place where they were reciting the fire nation oath and i don't actually have anything against the pledge of allegiance but i was still like oh man there is something weird about like being required to do yeah. that in school the uh my favorite part of the uh, whole school thing is the pop quiz that came about because of the uh, botching of the the pledge or the question. The only question that we hear is, 
Um, when did the Fire Nation fight the Air, Air Nation army? And Aang's just like, the Air Nomads didn't have an army. What are you talking about? And <laughs> so it, it just really shows how thorough the, uh, the brainwashing and the whole idea of the winner of the war decides the history and how what parts of the story get lost when the winner decides what the history was. Mm-hmm. What's yeah. true. And it's just... It's definitely a thing I think of a lot doing a history and war mm-hmm. podcast on the, on the other yeah. show I do. Um, well, this... So real quick on this, since we kind of failed to explain it, mm-hmm. Aang is going undercover at a school here because he stole Fire Nation clothes to you know hide out and accidentally put on a school uniform and is kind of shuffled off to Fire Nation school. Well, is shuffled off to Fire Nation school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Which he loves is my favorite part of it. Because mm-hmm. he gets to see the changes in culture of 100 years. Because he used to hang out with his friend Kuzan 100 years prior, and now everything is completely different. Aang doesn't know the local slang anymore, but he still really tries... Flamio, Flamio. man. <laughs> well, and the other thing, I mean, and I think he he says something to the effect directly out loud is, um, this is the first time since he was a hundred years ago before he ever knew anything about the Avatar when he was just a an Air Nation kid that he's been able to act like a kid. Yeah. Nobody knows he's yeah, the Avatar. Nobody knows him, he's a but... bender in that school. He's just a kid in school. Yeah. And I can definitely see the appeal of that. Like, poor Aang is never allowed to be a kid. So anytime he does, he just holds on to it so tightly. I want to say, I'm out of the five episodes that we looked at for this episode, as much as I love the last one because of the bending, this is probably overall my favorite. And I'm, I'm really glad, Grizz, that you pushed to to put this on there. Mm-hmm. This is one of the the ones, like, for Aang, it really, it subtly gives a really good reason for how his uh, inherent playfulness is also super useful. Mm-hmm. Because he's, he truly acts as, like, a bridge to these, these other Fire Nation kids using that in this episode. And it was really weird to watch it after having listened to all of that Wind of Change podcast, because it's kind of the same thing of getting these these joyful <laughs> cultural ideals uh, to this people that have been deprived some of it because of the, the nationalistic setting that they're in. And um, it just reminded me, I'm going to paraphrase because there's like, 15 different versions of this quote anyway, but it just reminded me of this quote of uh, uh, joy in treacherous times is an act of rebellion. Oof. Oh, that's a good thing to remember <laughs> in 2020. <laughs> uh, and I do like that Toph is kind of underused in this episode. She doesn't really have anything that important pop up, but everyone gets to be a bit of a kid in this one. Like, he gets, you know, a note for his parents to go. So Sokka and Katara put on costumes and pretend to be his kids or his parents and call themselves Wangfire and Sapphire Fire. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
and we get Sokka wearing a beard, which is always... Sokka's undercover beard is always one of my favorite things. I don't know why I find it so funny. Sokka's undercover beard is so great. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and just how easy he is to win over. He's like, this is a bad idea. You get to wear a costume. I'm in. As someone who dresses up in the park on the weekends, that is uh, a very relatable <laughs> sentiment. But they basically decide that the best way they can help these kids, because Aang is automatically... He never really thought too much, like, he was never very into the idea of Fire Nation as the enemy, but the moment he meets Fire Nation civilians, which we haven't really before this episode, because everyone's been military, he's like, I can help them. And I love that his solution to helping them is to basically footloose right. the town. Mm -hmm. We're going to throw a dance party. Oh. <laughs> also, I mean, in the, in the act of footloosing his town, like... Fucking his and Katara's dance is really cool. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, it's visually really good, and it's a a beautifully subtle way of like character growth. When you look at, you know, about a season before at Cave of Two Lovers, where Aang is trying to flirt and completely cannot do it, cannot flirt at all. And we get to this one, and he's not trying. And I mean, he'll try again later, and it will be awkward again because again. 13, 14 years old. Aang is Aang is playing it up pretty strong here. He's he's laying the flirt on hard, completely without really meaning to, just because he wants to dance with Katara, who everyone thinks is his mom, now that I think about it. So that might be weird. <laughs> well, and just, I don't think she's in disguise anymore, but I had that thought. Like, Well, and well, the, the dance, although um, stylistically extremely different, just completely reminded me of uh, Gomez and Morticia, in the Adams family. Oh, that's great. I like that. <sighs> oh, Gomez and Morticia. And that, I mean, anytime you can invoke Gomez and Morticia for me, I'm down. So <laughs> I, I do that too. It's fantastic. <laughs> and again, it was another really subtle way of like challenging imperialism because their dance is mostly water, uh, mm. water bending movements. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they call themselves from the colonies which actually later on, uh, there are comic books written by a guy named Gene Lin Yang, who is a great comic book creator, and with the show creators like helping him plot stuff out, that is a continuation of Avatar that are super good and you should check out. But one of the big plot lines is, what do we do with the colonies? Because, mm -hmm. you know, it's been there a hundred years. There's firebenders who have lived there for generations at this point. Yeah. But that's later, and kind of ties into Legend of Korra as well, because I keep yeah. jumping forward. I think one of the colonies ultimately ends up becoming Republic City. Yeah, I think they're pretty subtle about it. They just call it the colonies, but Republic mm -hmm. City comes out of it. At this point, the team, you're starting to understand how a group of 15-year-olds has survived this giant world-conquering army, because by this point, all of them are just super good at their jobs. Yeah, they've been running around for a season together. They've got pretty well-defined roles at this point. Which kind of leads into our next one, unless we have anything else we want to talk about on Footloose and the Avatar world. Uh, no, I think Beyond, I'm good. It yep, is probably the best episode of them. I'm good for now, but uh, uh, us talking about it has helped me decide what my, uh, what my, uh, God, what's that thing we do at the end of the episodes? What recommendations? my recommendation is going to be, so... 
<laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Perfect. I'm I'm glad that it came up. Is it Footloose? No, it's not Footloose. <laughs> okay, that's probably wise. Uh, <laughs> at this point, as I said, everyone's really set in their stuff, and Sokka is utterly invaluable to the team in like 15 different ways. But as the powerless character, he has kind of fallen behind on the combat side, which I love that they uh, get to address in our final episode, which is Sokka's Master, where Bitch learns to sword fight. Sokka's Um, Master is another one of those episodes that I really wish was like twice as long as it is. I agree with you. I do think this is one of my like all time favorite episodes of the series. It's up there. It's not. I don't think it made my top 10 list, but it's good. Oh, oh! I think it's in my like top five, but I, I get why. Um, it just taps into so many things that I uh, just really dig as storytelling devices. The the main thing I'm going to point out though is I like that in the beginning when Sokka is feeling bad because he feels like he can't add up, they don't just be like, "Oh no, you're wrong." They're like, "Your feelings are very valid. How can we help combat that?" Even though we find you helpful, useful, whatever you want to say for it i oh man how to talk about Sokka's master i i do really (laughs) like this episode i wish there was more i wish there was more to the actual training sequences because i feel like that's the part that i wanted elongated because i feel like you could also if you had the time you could work in the way his training from this master reflects back on things he had done maybe wrong or at times right and instead we just sort of see them going through some of the motions a couple different times and in some montages but it in the end this episode like does show some of the super like the strengths of Sokka and the ways that he has sort of grown up even if he hasn't realized it till this moment in this episode you had brought up like earlier how he sort of falls into almost like the toxic masculine hero stereotype, or at least that's what he's kind of trying to be. Cause he's trying to be the great man, the great warrior that's, that's helping people. And like this episode finally shows, like it shows him that that's not where strength has to lie. And he's learned that gradually mm-hmm. through all this time, but it, it takes that official, like the ta- the test sort of towards the end to prove it to himself. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's so, it's so good because you're right. I wish it had been significantly longer than it was. Of uh, even though it it kind of shows that Sokka already had these skills, it was just a matter of like realizing them and bringing it out. Because every time he's given a task, a uh, you know, make this rock garden to learn things, do the 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 painting Landscape thing where you painting. like are shown a beautiful view, and then like. Only for a moment, though, and then you just have to paint out everything you saw. Sokka does it always in a very Sokka style, where he doesn't quite go what for what they were looking for, but he's not wrong. You added a rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or, like, they're like, build a rock garden that reflects you, and so he just makes, like, the ultimate hangout spot. Rock gardening is so you can learn to use terrain to your advantage. And so he builds like a hangout and makes the servant bring him a lemonade. Like it's yeah, great. And Pandal's like, I, well, while you're going, can I also get one? <laughs> That's uh, and you get the 
classic, you know, let's make a, a weapon from a meteor, which is space sword is something is a trope that I will never be tired of. And also, I love that Terry Pratchett in real life made a space sword that he got. <laughs> oh, good job, right? Terry. That's so great. Well done. <laughs> that absolutely. That's what I would have wanted done if I had like no chance in hell I'll ever be knighted. But if I ever was, it would have to be with a space sword. Um, um, the other thing I really like about Sokka that gets that gets shown in this episode, and honestly, it was shown a little bit in uh, Cave of Two Lovers as well, but. I waited to bring it up till now, is I like how Sokka is very realistic about his own capability, but he doesn't let that stop him. He knows what he can't do, but he doesn't use that as an excuse to be like, well, then it just can't be done. He's like, well, I can't do it this way. That doesn't mean there's not ways I can do it. Yeah, I think... When your traveling companions are your sister, who was the only bender in your tribe, the literal Jesus of your culture, <laughs> and uh, the creator of metal bending, you are forced to confront things that you would not, like, you're forced to confront your own weaknesses a lot faster and this show, this episode does such a good job of showing how none of that stops him. And also, how much everyone else relies on him. Because the moment Sokka's not there, the entire group is just kind of like, I don't know what to do now. Mm -hmm. I guess we'll hang out? <laughs> Take a nap? Definitely not going to tell jokes. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I, I hate purposely like that trope of the purposely bad joke being told and you're just like no please stop but also it was very well done here oh god it's just uh -huh. so uncomfortable just the worst way to be a social glue stick if you're gonna tell a bad if you're gonna tell a bad joke you have to have like the right mood for like the... you gotta deliver it yeah and oh they did not deliver it okay <laughs> all right Neat little reference I noticed in this episode, though. Uh, Pian Dao uh, compares... What is it? He compares a sword to being, what, like a long, sharp arm, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Pian Dao is voiced by Robert Patrick, who was the T-1000 that, in Terminator yep. 2. Who has the long, pointy arm. <laughs> and turned his arms into blades at one point. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. I didn't know that was him. Yep, it's Robert Patrick. They had a lot of they had a lot of really good voice actors. As I said, Mark Hamill plays Ozai, Robert Patrick plays him, the Boulder. Uh, <laughs> uh what's his name? Clancy Brown. Oh yeah. Who played Lex Luthor and the Kurgan from Highlander and like four hundred other things because he has such a great voice for voice acting. Plays or is in this series as well. They just had a stellar cast. Uh, what is it? Dante Rufio. Bosco? Rufio. Rufio. <laughs> yeah, Rufio from Hook. Uh, everything about the show is just so good. Like, I'd, I'm sure I should find more critical things to say, but every critical thing I have to say about this show, I can forgive for being a show on Nickelodeon for 10-year-olds. Right. Like, it's gone so far beyond what most shows of its genre are that I'm pretty forgiving of the flaws it does have. Likewise. 
His sword fight's pretty fucking sweet, too. I was just trying to think back on the choreography yeah. of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry if this episode is super disjointed, everyone that's listening. It's super disjointed recording it. It is hard to do this without being able to see anyone talking. Well, I mean, we, we covered these five episodes pretty well, but I have one big question for mm. you guys. Okay. Which bending style would you want to be? Yeah, I fucking knew it was yeah. this. <laughs> I mean, you have to touch on it, right? Oh, you can't not. Mm. Um, you know, part of me always wants it to be air, because I like to be... I don't hold grudges well, and I like to be super forgiving, and I have a thing for storms. But let's be honest, I'd be an earthbender. I have the subtlety of a brick, and that's literally what that is. Classic. Uh, for me... I would probably be either fire or earth. Fire, just because I, at certain points in my life, have been known to have a bit of a temper. I have got pretty decent control over it these days. But the rage is still just, like, simmering in the in the pot mm-hmm. in the back. Um, and also, I just stubborn as hell like a rock, which is... Yeah, that's that's the one I was thinking of. I so what you're saying with this temper is I shouldn't make a joke about you being one of the swamp benders, <laughs> which I have a weird because I make a bunch of leather armor. I have the weirdest urge to make their like hat and like leaf oh hat God. and uh, bark armor. I would wear the hell out of that on the battlefield. I know you would. This is why we're friends. Uh, anyways, <laughs> so Tyler, what no, it's do you tough. I would, I would most want, I think, as it's portrayed, to be in the show. I'd probably most want to be a waterbender, but I think naturally I'd probably be a lot more of an earthbender. See, for some I, reason, I was thinking fire for you. I really like fire, but honestly, like Northern Shaolin is way too acrobatic for me, and I would just be the laziest <laughs> firebender of all fucking time, like. At least with Hung God, get to like sit down in my fucking stance for a while and just sort of like chill out and shit. Just horse stance for days. Yeah, that's that's definitely a thing on it. Of I, I know for a fact that I'm a very lazy fighter that hits like a truck because of Belgarth. So uh, that's kind of what earthbending do. Yeah, like I, I've never done any bell, but I used to be a lineman in football, so I think that translates pretty well to earthbending. Yeah, the- same concept. <laughs> Try and stop me. <laughs> so, do we have any last thoughts on Avatar? Or... Other than people should watch it and love it as much as we do? Nah, I'm good. Yeah, it, if you have somehow not watched it, absolutely watch it. I'm sure we will cover episodes probably more in depth in the future, and hopefully in person, so we can actually see who's talking. This is all over the phone. This is super weird. Yep. Yeah. No, this was a good way to, to sort of hit on it for the first time, especially with so many people finding it for the first time now that it's back up on Netflix again. I've been really enjoying just yeah, like scouring the internet away. and seeing so many people finding new joy in it. So, As someone who's been a nerd my entire goddamn life, I had absolutely, I remember like when the final episode came out, like that was a big deal. So the number of my friends who had not seen it forced me to remember that the show is 15 years old so a lot of them might have been a little young for it at the time Mm. or young enough that like they could have much more easily missed it 
Or they just happened right. to not be there that Saturday or whatever the hell day it aired. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, if if someone's 25, they were, what, 10 when it came out? That is very different relationship to I watched this in late high school, early college. But yes, watch the show. Uh, don't watch the movie. They are making another live action show. I know Netflix is doing, which I don't know. I don't really feel like it's needed. But I'm still going to watch it. I bet you it's going to have some. Oh, yeah. I'm a horror for fantasy, so I will absolutely watch, especially because it sounds like they're actually going to not whitewash the cast, which will help a lot. And um, and both the showrunners are involved, which will also help. Yeah. And oh, yeah. And just on top of that, I am increasingly and I've said it on here before of under the opinion that TV shows are better than movies when you have a complicated at all concept to talk about. I would agree with that. You know, if you're going to adapt something, do it over the course of like 15 hours instead of two or three. 100% agree. Yeah. Especially on Netflix where they get actual like budgets too. Yeah, Netflix. Yeah. Stop making horrible movies and just make decent TV shows. (laughs) Right? Like, you know your strengths. Yeah, their movies aren't very good, are they? Although I hear the new one is pretty good. The the old guard or something like that. Oh yeah, I keep hearing that's really good. I was thinking about watching it after work. Not work. This is work. After this. (laughs) (laughs) You're on the clock. Deal with it. It's my Friday. Which is Monday. Yep. Hey. Oh, you should pay us for this. Random audience. What? Of Grizzly. I'm not paying you for Uh, this. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably wise. Uh, do we have any recommendations for this week? I suppose I'll start. I highly recommend the show Kipo and the Age of the Wonder Beasts. Um, it has two seasons now. It is also on Netflix. Um, it's put out by DreamWorks. It is a really great, also, side of, like, teen, young adult, or mostly kid, I suppose, uh, another good cartoon that is really good at showing diversity um, and different really progressive um, ideals and dealing with... It doesn't really deal with some of the crazy big problematic things that Avatar deals with, but it also shows like dealing with feelings in good ways. Um, it's just really cute and fun. And the music is so good. Oh yeah, the music good. is stellar. Oh my god. Uh, every, every creature you meet basically has their own, like, genre music. There are lumberjack cats, timber cats, and they all play folk music, and I have had the folk, timber cat folk music stuck in my head for, like, two weeks Uh, now. Uh, just, I honestly don't have enough good things to say about the show, so I'm just gonna leave it where it is for another moment. Tyler, you said you had one planned out a while back. That you had figured out what your recommendation was. Yeah, yeah. I had a completely different recommendation, and then we started talking about the headband. And I think I may have recommended this before, but fuck it, I'm going to do it again because we're talking about awesome cartoons. And the headband was directed by Joaquim Dos Santos. Uh, He also actually directed uh, a number of awesome episodes in The Last Airbender. He also did, like, The Beach, Parts 3 and 4 of Sozin's Comet... Uh, Day of the Black Sun Part 2, Puppet Master, Southern Raiders. Um, Lots of very the heavy. Big, no the thing he that was I was going to... Third season. Yeah. 
the thing I was going to recommend is that uh, Joaquim Dos Santos is also showrunner on Voltron Legendary Defender on Netflix. Also put out by DreamWorks. <laughs> that DreamWorks-Netflix combo seems to be going real well for us. Uh, yeah. Also just an amazing animated show. A little bit more... Uh, a little bit more action-oriented, especially as it goes forward, but still with uh, a good like focus on dealing with people's feelings and just treating characters like real people and acknowledging their hardships and stuff and questionable at times representation but at least it had a lot more representation than a lot of uh animation has including not perfect but it tries hmm i said not perfect but it tries not perfect but it tries um, including actually having the first on-screen wedding between two male characters in a Western children's animated series. Huh. Oh, shit, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. I got, like, three episodes in, thought this is pretty good, and then... I must have slept cause... through the wedding episode, yeah, um, and now I'm upset with myself. But I just uh, <laughs> had a lot of fun with it, seeing Joaquim Dos Santos's name come back up. I, I fucking loved this new Voltron, and I can't... Oh, overall, even though the ending is a little... Eh, it's worth it. The first nice. And also it's great. like giant fucking mechs coming together to form even bigger mechs and it's awesome and fighting aliens and laser beams and fucking lions and yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, robots with lions for feet. It's amazing. Yeah. All right, so I did have just one, but I'm going to give you two because you guys both did cartoons and I thought, fuck, I have to recommend a good cartoon. <laughs> if you somehow haven't seen it, Gendy Tartavosky's Samurai Jack is one of the greatest cartoons ever made, hands down. Uh, Samurai Jack is the story of a samurai. It also has the same voice actor as Uncle Iroh, except as a like insane, evil, almost clownish character. Uh, samurai Jack is a samurai who is brought forward to the future, and he is trying to go back in time to stop Aku, the demon who sent him to the future, from taking over the world. He is never given a name in the original one, but he is dubbed Jack by the denizens of the future, and he travels around having kooky adventures and uh, kicking ass. And it is a brilliantly artistic episode. It takes, or not episode show, it takes visual risks that I have never seen other shows do. And its use of silence is just incredible. It'll have entire episodes where no one speaks at all. One episode... Jack versus the Ninja, it goes entirely into pure black and white. No grayscale, no nothing. And then no talking for like two-thirds of the episode. I have never seen another show accomplish a third of what this show does. And then it's also just real fun and cool. Um, the other thing I'm going to recommend, though, is a comic book series called The Nocturnals, which I am recommending entirely because I thought Tyler would fucking dig it. <laughs> It is a mix of science fiction and kind of superhero and like organized crime and hammer movie horror. Mm. So like, you know, werewolves and vampires and Frankenstein's monsters and stuff like that. And it's about a guy named Doc Horror, who you find out is an alien from another world who is working with, as I said, like vampires and werewolves and stuff. And sometimes working with and sometimes fighting the mob. 
and like evil corporations that are making golems to try and take over the world. It's fucking weird, hmm. but it it's a mix of like all the genres you like short of kung fu. And it is an entirely hand-painted comic, which is insane. It's a reason not much of it ever came out. Right. Huh. Painting comics takes forever. Uh, again, that is Nocturnals by, I want to give this guy's name because he's amazing, Dan Barrettin. And it's super good. You should absolutely check it out. Tyler, but also just people in general. <laughs> uh, Grizz, thank you so much for coming on to this really weird episode. Uh, is there anywhere that people can find you? Anything that you do that you want to brag to people about? No, I don't, so no, I don't have anything I at this point. Uh, thinking about some things, maybe sometime in the future, but at this point, no. Excellent. Okay. Well, I guess, uh, Tyler, it's time for you to do the thing that I do not interfere with anymore. Oh, okay, yeah. Like how it'd be super awesome if all you out there would hit subscribe, however you're listening to us right now, because... Then you can hear whenever we come out with our next episode, right when it comes out, uh, along with subscribing. If you could rate and review us, however you're listening to us right now, that would be way super duper amazingly helpful because the entire world is ran on algorithms and, you know, this is computer shit. So uh, along with that, in order to keep up with everything we're doing, uh, please head over to our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. Uh, you can check out our entire back catalog there. You can contact us through the website or by emailing us, generalnerderypod at gmail.com. And while you're over at the website, please click the links up at the top because we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. You can listen to the other shows over on the network through there. Listen to me talk about horror movies over on Fried Squirms. Zach? You can listen to us talk about uh, war and wargaming and war treatises over on The Art of Wargaming with me and my buddy Malark. Uh, and by heading back to that website, www.earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M, uh, you can keep up with everything that we hope to eventually put up through the network, and that'll be the easiest place to check it all out at once. Which, I know you're tired of hearing this, we are working on more things. We were actually supposed to meet up, uh, like, two days ago. But, again, 2020 and COVID and Tyler being sick and all that, like, we'll get there. That's the point. We'll get there. Yeah, I've barely seen people this week. It kind of sucks. Anyway. <laughs> uh, did was that, Oh, also uh, you can search for General Nerdery across all your social medias. Will be what pops up. We try to use them more. I know we say that all the time. It doesn't actually see, seem like that much more, but I think about it more than I used to, and that's a first step. So we're, we're Baby getting steps. there. We were at like a ten percent. We're working on. We're up to like a fifteen to twenty. We're we'll, someday. It's progress. Someday, kids. It's slow progress, but it's progress. <laughs> it's terrible, terrible progress. Uh, in the meantime, we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler, and I'm that guy Grizz. That's. That's Chris. <laughs> Dismissed. Dismissed.